0: This is Pretty Much Pop, a culture podcast, pouring all of our skill points into conversing about media. Today we're talking about electronic role playing games. I'm Mark Lintzenmeier, leaving my enemies in merely their underwear since 1987.
1: I'm Erica Spires, and like a denizen of Vault 111, waking up from my cryogenic slumber, I really have no idea what's going on.
2: I'm Brian Hurt, and I have a sad announcement to make
3: Warrior shot the food. And I'm Tyler Hislop, and I'm pretty sure I have somehow acquired amnesia. Cue the outlandishly deep and detailed character creation screen here.
0: Hey, welcome back, Tyler, our editor. Hey, guys.
3: Hey. Good to be back. Good to have you. Welcome back.
0: We had asked you to come on our our last video game one, but you wisely decided that, since we already had a guest for that, we ended up being a very talkative guest, that it would have been very hard to fit in the breadth of your experiences. I guess let's kind of go around to to say what we're bringing to the table here. Tyler, do you want to start us off?
3: As a child of the 80s, I started playing video games pretty early on, starting with things like Mario, but pretty quickly on the Nintendo, a game... Made its way into my consciousness called Dragon Warrior or Dragon Quest. And then shortly after that, Final Fantasy I. And that pretty much broke my young brain. The scope and the breadth of both of those games, even though they were so primitive from today's standards, I mean, it was incredible. They were, you know, stories, great music, you know, the whole nine yards, everything I look for in RPGs today. So started there. And then I pretty much haven't looked back. RPGs have been my kind of bread and butter video game wise since I was four or five years old.
0: And on the other end of the spectrum, Erica, you said you've played some of these before.
1: So I grew up with two older brothers, three and a half and four and a half years older than me, respectively. And because of that, and me being the only girl, I think, there were a lot of things I got left out of at a young age. So if they were playing video games, oftentimes I wasn't at the skill level I needed to be to play with them. So I just kind of like would leave the room. So it was just never really a part of my life. Not too much. I mean, like, I played the occasional Mario and a lot of Tetris. But beyond that, like, RPGs, the only thing I've really ever played, now we'll get into this, as to what exactly constitutes an RPG, because these articles have blown my mind. In high school, my boyfriend at the time introduced me to Final Fantasy 7 and 8 and 9. So we played those together, but mostly it was me telling him what to do while he controlled the game. How about you guys?
0: I'm sure Brian and I have a rather parallel history that we started playing some of these even together. It was definitely interactive fiction before this was the big thing for me when I was 11 or something playing Zork and Leather Goddesses of Phobos. Didn't we do that one together? And reading
2: Choose Your Own Adventure books.
0: Yes. Leather
1: God- What? Say that again? Leather Leather Goddesses Goddesses of of
0: Phobos was another interactive fiction one.
1: This does not sound safe for children.
2: It was mildly PG-13. It wasn't too bad, actually. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. There are all these
0: other ones. I mean, these are not actual RPGs, but these were kind of the antecedent. And then I remember us playing Ultima Four for a long damn time when
2: I was, what, 15? Something like that. Oh yeah, we would all sit around and watch one screen as one person played. And even later on, in our 20s, several people came to my house over New Year's and we all played Diablo just taking turns. It was awesome. Well, it would be one person would just have the healing and the mana, replant, the potion <laughs> things for to
0: hit those buttons when we were in trouble, <laughs> and the other person would do everything else. I think I was out of the video game loop for the end of high school and all of college and some years after that, and it was really you, Brian, that kind of reintroduced to me that this is a thing you can do as an adult. And so during grad school, I spent a lot of time with Diablo and some other things like that, and then... Got out of it again, more or less, or, you know, was just occasionally doing things on PC. And I think through podcast listening, discovered like, oh, I should get a console. And that led me to playing lots of Oblivion and Skyrim and the most recent Fallout and things like that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to have to use a word that may or may not be acceptable, but I used it a lot growing up because it applies to myself. I am what you would call a textbook spaz in that I'm not very coordinated, and a lot of video games are not open to me as a result of that. <laughs> but role-playing games tend to be a little bit more forgiving. Either they're really easy, like Diablo, or there's no combat, or when there is combat, there are a lot of crutches, like the newer follow games that really provide you the ability to take your time and think through it. So that's why those games have really appealed to me over the years. Speaking of Diablo, I did actually appear in PC Gamer magazine. They had a poll about what your favorite video game is and why. And I, I filled in my little card, like physically mailed it in, and it says, and they printed it, and it was, I think, number two on their list, and it was Diablo. And I said that it sucked me back into the fold after years of wandering with my name. And I think... I realized later on they may have thought I was the other Brian Hurt, which was this guy in Ohio who created a PC game database. So they probably just figured I was that Brian Hurt and not my own Brian Hurt. But so be it, I was in there. So should we introduce you on all our video game episodes as not that Brian Hurt? He's not that Brian Hurt.
1: We have a lot of things to talk about here, but I want to talk about the thing that I still am not understanding. You should have heard the conversations I was having with my husband about this. And I was being like, yeah, yeah, well, what about this game? This is an RPG, right? And he's like, no, that's not an RPG. And then like, I was like, well, this one, no, that's not an RPG. Okay, so lots of stuff that I thought was constituted an RPG, he didn't think of as an RPG. But then we read this article from Medium by Sam Liberty. Doesn't that sound like a made-up name? What are role-playing games even? How are they that? Exploring a genre that might not exist. And he sets out some definitions as to what an RPG is. And he goes into not just video games. In particular, he talks mostly about how a true RPG is more of a tabletop experience. But then... He talks about LARPing a little bit and video games themselves, and then he ends up kind of taking it back and saying, like, we don't really know, basically, right? Did you guys check this out? Like, it's hard to define really what it is because there are so many elements of RPGs and other games that are popular. So what are we even talking about today?
0: Yeah, I guess we got to take this back to what actual tabletop role-playing games are. Does anybody else? I've been in, through my in-laws, uh, adult Pathfinder, which is a and d offshoot for, like, a dozen plus years now, like a couple campaigns over that time. Does anybody else have sort of adult experience with with these things or just when you were 12?
3: I'm not that experienced firsthand, but I do tend to observe a lot of it online on YouTube. There's a a lot of really good D&D shows out there where the production values are pretty high, but it's all really just sitting around and talking to a dungeon master and interacting with each other. So I'm familiar with it in those terms. And I would say, yeah, as far as strictly role-playing, you're literally playing a role. You create an identity and you carry that identity through. That's the most distinctive definition that we could apply to it. Once you start entering the electronic medium, it becomes way more ambiguous, as you saw in that article.
1: Right, so there's this element of customization, right, when you're in a video RPG, and please correct me if I'm wrong on any of this. So you could be maybe picking one character like you would in D&D to play, or you could customize multiple character types, play it as different types, or maybe at different times within the video game, not just different playthroughs, but at different times, you're playing a different character. So what do you think, like, like Tyler, do you have a definition of what you believe to be a true RPG versus maybe something that just has RPG elements that's close to it even?
3: A definition, no. So games have a lot of different ways in which they carry these standards out. So you could have a silent protagonist, um, that does no speaking, just interacts with the world. And in some sense, that interaction is the role that you're playing. Some protagonists are very active, and they have dialogue and things of that nature, and video games tend to deviate there as far as the identity of the character. Character creation is another thing. Like in tabletop and in D&D, character creation is very important. That's what drives the entire story. Kind of like my intro, kind of indicated, character creation... In a lot of video games, is pretty much meaningless, pointless. Like They'll have you set sliders for the length of your legs and your hair color and your eyes and your eye color and things of that. I mean, they're inconsequential insofar as the particulars of the story of their narrative, but that's when the definition starts to twist because if you're playing the role and you want your avatar to represent something, you can choose elements of that identity and then carry that forward. And the Medium article also brought that up where you're inclined to feel some sort of connection to your character, whether or not it's deliberately a role play in the strictest sense or not.
0: It seems like it's almost the reverse. It's not you pretending sitting there pretending to be a wizard, but it's you making your wizard look more or less like you if you, if you want to take that and at least according to that one article that that makes you feel more connection to the game. what do you when you guys create characters? I think it might have been Brian that got me on the Brian, every character you created was a woman. Yeah, that's me too. Just to screw with things. And now I tend to do that, or I tend to do pick some skin tone that's not mine. Really, I try to make the most ridiculous looking character that I can often. Like, can I get hair that is giant, that waves around, <laughs> so just so that when this character is running around, it's just going to look funny to me? There's nothing to do with identifying with the character.
2: I think how this manifests in tabletop gaming versus video gaming is really different. I see them as almost completely different things and I, I do have quite a bit of experience doing tabletop gaming as an adult both as a DM and as a player. So as a the DM is the dungeon master who runs the game. I feel like yeah, you're right Tyler, the decisions you make are totally superficial largely. Maybe if you play different races in some games it will change how you're treated or choose different backgrounds. But you you make your choices and you just play through the game and you keep making progress based on how the story developers have kind of laid out the story for you. Whereas in a tabletop game, I feel like I create a character and then my goal more than anything else is to try to develop that character and be true to it. So maybe I have a backstory and I make decisions based on my backstory or someone wrongs me. And I try to make my decisions consistent with the fact that that person wronged me and in a computer game. I don't really see that it matters that much, right? I'm allowed to, if no one's looking at me when I'm stealing and I don't lose karma points for stealing, it's like, yeah, I'm gonna steal, right? I gotta loot everything in the room because that's how I get money in this game. Because I need money to buy arrows in this game. And if I don't have arrows, I'm gonna die, right? So it becomes gamified very quickly. Whereas I'll like live with the consequences of not having arrows in my tabletop campaign because my DM probably isn't gonna let me die horribly from having a lack of money or a lack of weapons or whatever, or if that's his or her goal, then nothing I can do to stop it, right? So they're just different things.
3: I think where this might bifurcate with video gaming now, once the social element gets incorporated like in a MMORPG like World of Warcraft, when you choose a character, you develop friendships through that character. You are known as that character for the most part. Then once you start interacting outside of the game through like Discord or something, when you're coordinating... A lot of times, my friends on World of Warcraft don't know me as Tyler. They know me as Willow, my red-headed female tank, and that, that's what I'm known as. So in some sense, when you incorporate the social element, like in Tabletop, the identity becomes more strict as far as that goes. Whereas in something like Skyrim, yeah, your race might give you one talent attribute or another, but in many cases, you can still go through the game as you would Anyway, regardless of the race or the character that you choose.
2: Now I have a question for Tyler and a question for Willow, and I want to see if I get the same answer. <laughs> Actually, we should mention MMORPG, that's massively multiplayer online role-playing game.
3: Do you play multiple ones of those? I play multiple MMOs and multiple characters within each MMO.
2: Do they ever shit-talk each
3: other? <laughs> uh, no, but in large part, the time investment is such that you really stick with one because you spend so much time Interacting with that world that it's not time efficient or cost effective to spread yourself out over many characters. Of course, if you have the time, you can do that.
1: Back when I used to do any sort of gaming, I still dabble, but in very, very little. But in creating an avatar, it was much more of an aspirational avatar when I was younger. And now I do feel like it's more of like, how different can you make that Maybe that's just something that comes with age is just like wanting to try new things out. But I think maybe, you know, something that's helped with that too is I know there's the, this whole trophy system that happens. So it's not about just if you want to be like the hero, always making good decisions. There are certain games where you're supposed to make terrible decisions and be the villain because you're going to get trophies for that too. So, I think it's probably pretty smart on the game designers and producers of those games to be like, yeah, we're going to give you trophies for this and give you a completely new experience and make you even more hooked to this game.
2: Erica, I think that gets at why I pick women as my avatars. I felt like if I create a muscular man, I feel really inadequate. Like, I'm, I can't <laughs> achieve that, but I'm not going to be a woman. Like, that's not really within my ability. I feel. Like released of the burden of having to try to live up to this archetype that I've created.
1: It's true. It's right. Like when you're a kid, you're like, I'm gonna look like super hot and you like make make yourself look super hot as a game. I used to have this character in Bond, right? And her name was Jade and she had like this bright red hair and she was super hot. And now I wouldn't do that because it like it feels like, well, that's too tough to do. I'm just going to do something completely different because, like, now I am a grown woman and I know what that's like. If I wanted to have that, so it doesn't even feel good to to be like a hot woman anymore. <laughs> it just would be something really fun and different.
0: Let's pick at the social aspect a little more. Are these choices about Avatar and about the choices you make within the game and just the whole approach really different if you're just doing it by yourself versus doing it with your friends and a network thing versus doing an MMO where you're actually Forming relationships with strangers. And I don't know if you guys have seen the uh, TV show or it started as a web series called The Guild with Felicia Day. I saw the first season. Yeah. Yeah. That sort of plays on this. Strangers who have met and know each other only by their avatars and gradually actually become part of each other's lives. Yeah. Tyler, like, are there friends you made on World of Warcraft that you still are in touch with or, you know, or part of your Facebook friend group at least or?
3: That's happened in multiple ways. I've met a few people from World of Warcraft, and um, I've actually been able to maintain friendships that didn't start in World of Warcraft, but then were sustained through World of Warcraft. You know, in virtue of us living in different states, that's been really cool. I think it depends on what you intend to get out of an MMO RPG, for example, because you can play casually and you you kind of get out of it what you put into it. If you go into it inclined to really get the most out of it, you will end up being forced to interact with other people because you're required to in order to complete certain tasks. So you will develop relationships. And I think that kind of blew the whole RPG thing open once that became a requirement. For example, like Destiny, people would call that an RPG, but it's also a shooter. You end up in a situation where you're spending 10, 12 hours per session with the same people. And yeah, you're necessarily going to learn their strengths and learn their weaknesses, and they'll learn things about you. And Whereas you don't get that in obviously a single player RPG or even a co op experience, like an adventure game.
0: You say they know you by your character name. I mean, is there, does anybody like do the voices or, you know, kind of Only do? Mark. You, you might do it in an RPG where you're actually doing some sort of improv acting, or it's more just like, yeah, we're together accomplishing this task. Like, you know, we could be playing online Pac Man together or whatever.
3: In MMOs, there are RP servers. And WoW, there are multiple role-playing specific servers where you have entire guilds where the identities of the characters are also... The through line is to the individual as well, where you're actually playing the role. Everything that you type and that you say assumes the role of the character. There are folks that really take that seriously, and I think that adds a whole other element. I never really got as much into that, but when someone says, hey, Willow, do you want to come main tank this raid? I say, yes, I do, and I'm responding as Willow, so <laughs> here I am for a long time it, I took it very seriously it was a, almost a full time job that was World of Warcraft you said is that right yeah
2: i tried playing World of Warcraft i got you know the free disc in the mail and i installed it and i kind of liked it and i was playing it for a little while and then i accidentally missed a day of work one day cuz i was playing it and i just didn't realize what happened that was terrible no,
1: no i you did missed the whole day
2: yeah so for <laughs> i just gave all my clothes and money away and deleted my account <laughs> I just knew that this way lies madness. So maybe it's partly that I'm not very good at these games, so I need to take them at my own pace. I've never gotten a lot of joy out of the multiplayer experience. I do view it as a solitary exercise, and I have really, I think most enjoy games that are designed to be that, that don't even have multiplayer.
1: Is this because you're not a competitive person, or is it because you're a hyper-competitive person? Partly, I think I
2: don't want to let my team down, right? And I don't want to be the person who goes on the raid and gets us all killed or isn't doing my job. So I want to be good at what I'm doing. I am pretty competitive, but I just don't like being competitive on video games, I guess. I just don't see that as part of it. I once played a game of StarCraft with Mark and a friend of his and I was such a sore loser because I lost, but it was before like the time when if you, as long as you had like one little building left, the game wouldn't end. And so I just kept making buildings like a total weenie until I think your friend finally just gave up. I think one character just wandered to a corner of the screen where, where somebody has to find
0: you and kill you for the game to actually end. <laughs> it's,
1: it's a strategy.
0: Like, man, what a dick. I think at that point we were playing against each other, but there wasn't really the option of group chat. I mean, I don't know if we were playing competitively against each other if we'd have that on anyway, but that's just more what I associate now of like, of course we're going to be yakking and having a good time. And so I don't know how that works. I've been kind of afraid of doing that with strangers. Like, I don't know that I want to do that with strangers, but that's the norm for like World of Warcraft, right? If is you get on an audio channel.
3: Yeah, now it's the norm if you're looking to take it to that depth.
1: Is it more about crafting your own type of story in a World of Warcraft or do they guide you on a story? Both, but primarily
3: you're guided, but the branches and the amount of quests and quest paths that you can go on are so varied that every time you play, you can take a different path. Now, you can go through the main storyline, or you can avoid all quests and just level up your character and become a crafting master. There are some ways in which you can play a role. Like Some players will just create a business where all they'll do is mine and craft and use the auction house to make a lot of gold you can play an economic type game some games will actually introduce the mechanics of the mentorship where you have a tag above your head that says hey I'm willing to help new players and you can play that role. There are a lot of different ways that you can engage in MMOs in particular but like Brian was saying A single-player experience where you have more or less a linear narrative path, I think that's still a valid or a legitimate form of RPG, even though it's either directed in such a way that you're on rails and you have to go down this path, or it's open world and you can still carve your way through it, but more or less you're using guideposts to take you through the game. And that's still as much of a a legitimate role-playing experience, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, okay, so we played Horizon Zero Dawn last year which it was a great game and reviewed very well, but also just like a lot of fun and a great story, I thought. When I mentioned that to my husband, he's like, no, 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 that's not an RPG. And he was explaining to me why. I called him up when I read this. I was like, the main picture on this is Horizon Zero Dawn. And this goes back to that Medium article, and some people would consider that to be an RPG. Now, why exactly that would be or wouldn't be. I'm still unsure. There is some, a little bit of customization, but not in the way that you get in so many other RPGs. It leads you down a path, but there is a sense of an open world, so you can do extra, like you can do whatever quests you decide to that you want to do. But I personally like that kind of thing, where it's more guided and you have more of a complete story and an end point to it. I can see why that wouldn't be as fun for some people, because they want that experience to like live on forever, like Skyrim or something.
2: Quick vote, yes or no on Horizon Zero Dawn. Role-playing game, yes or no? Yes, no idea. Brian? I say yes for sure. Oh, Erica, vote.
1: (laughs) Vote? Oh god. Originally I thought it was, and I think the reason I thought it was is I haven't played a lot of RPGs, and it reminded me of the experience that Final Fantasy VIII was. Not exactly, but in the same idea of we have like a storyline we're going towards, we have quests on the side. So I don't know the exact answer, but I thought it was.
3: A lot of folks make the distinction based on gameplay mechanics, in particular. So a lot of early RPGs were menu based and turn based, where you make a selection and a character performs an action. Once it became a direct action, you know, button press to action paradigm shift, where you're out on the combat field and you're shooting and/or swinging a sword, a, a la Skyrim. I don't know why that wouldn't be considered an RPG, even though it does have adventure game mechanics as well built into it. So the narrative is still there. You're still assuming the role of a character being led through a story. And like one of the articles said, you're developing your character's attributes, you're developing the character's skills, and you're becoming more a fleshed out character in the narrative world.
0: Yeah. All right. I'm going to just grind this discussion to a halt for a sponsor break. Given how busy your schedule probably is, staying creative is easier said than done. You can build, fuel, and expand your creative fire with Skillshare, an online learning community for the creator in all of us. They've got thousands of classes in creative writing, in music, photography, graphic design, illustration, web development, marketing, you name it, they've got it. And their classes are on demand so you can learn at your own pace. I'm very excited about filling in some of my technique gaps In finger-picking guitar, there's an interesting-looking one on taking pro photos with your iPhone, which I'm terrible at. There are several classes on improving your productivity, and it's not just a series of videos. You are encouraged to reach out to the instructors. There's a community of learners. I was looking at some of the creative writing stuff. People upload their projects for other students to look at if you want. The class is really high-quality, and you can tailor what you're learning to exactly what's going to push you to the next level in creating things you love. So join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare and get two months free when you sign up at skillshare.com slash pretty. That's two whole months of unlimited access to thousands of classes for free. Get started today by heading to skillshare.com slash pretty to sign up. That's skillshare.com slash pretty. Now let's get
2: back to it. One of the things I could see possibly working against horizon zero dawn compared with say oblivion is you don't get to pick your character you're locked into aloy was that her name and once you start with her you can make some choices but you're stuck with her backstory and even her secret backstory that gets revealed throughout the game but i still feel like you are in control of her enough and in control of your experience enough that it still feels like an RPG to me. I, I've got to say, these all these definitions and what it is and what it isn't, I still feel like we're back to Jacobellus versus Ohio, the definition of pornography. I know <laughs> it when I see it, so yeah. I feel like, um <laughs> and that was in the 60s, right? So, you know, it applies to this. I feel like if you can go with a classic definition and start tweaking some things, you still have an RPG. If you change everything, maybe you don't anymore.
3: Like Final Fantasy, for example, they are considered quintessential rpgs but you are given the main character and you're leading that main character through so but again they have the turn-based menu base go to item shops get equipment things of that yeah. nature that have some of the rpg conventions yeah i mean the definition is going to break open as soon as you start disentangling gameplay mechanics from one another but i think the bare bones assuming a role and driving yourself through a narrative i think that holds true across all rpgs
1: so just for the listeners who won't open up that article, I'm just going to say really quickly, the definition that is laid out here, the basic definition and then he goes on to to tweak this is one, the player controls a specific character. This is every tabletop role-playing game and then he goes from there. So you control a specific character, that character has game statistics and or relational attributes with other game objects, three, the character has important fictional or narrative relationships with other story elements, and for the player makes decisions for the character, stepping into that role and making choices as if they were the character. And then also it has like as an addition-specific character, sometimes you might control multiple characters, but there's always at least one that you're controlling. And those tend to, as they talked about in this article, it tends to veer off very quickly, as you just mentioned, Tyler. It's like, at a certain point, what even is it anymore?
0: So I feel like a lot of the you know, especially if you're going to put a lot of energy into making your visuals look amazing and great voice acting, is really kind of like a long movie that it's guiding you through. And yes, you have a choice to go to this area first and then this area, or go back to this area. You have some choices, but ultimately, you're getting toward one ending, or maybe they'll have two or three endings, but, like, the vast majority of the game is going to be the same thing virtually every playthrough. You know, maybe you choose to upgrade a certain skill tree in one and a certain skill tree in another, but it's basically a piece of fiction such as it is. Hopefully, probably wouldn't have enough plot to support, like, an actual, even a short story, and then you're just slotted into that. So, I guess that's the idea, is that it looks like you're making choices, you know, you feel like you're making choices. I can go left. I can go right here. I can choose when to push fire or whatever. But, uh, ultimately it doesn't make that much difference to the story because they want to show you the thing that they planned. It's not like a tabletop RPG where you could just say, screw this and just make all your
2: dungeon masters preparation for not by. No, but you see, Mark, that's where they're the exact opposite because you're in a computer game and you can't break it. So you try to see what the limits are of what you can do that. You're not supposed to because they're going to get you back on track. Where in a tabletop game, there's this social contract that you can't do anything too different from what your dungeon master had planned or, or you're done for the day, right? Well, we're all going home. Like, all right. Well, then you're all going home because I have nothing planned. I have nothing to do if you're ever going to go back to your hut and you're, you know, going to make crossbows all day. So, I mean, I feel like the dynamic is reversed between these two things. You know that that key and peel sketch of a guy trying to run the his D&D game and his
0: cousin is there who's all street and just like we're going to go in the bar and we're going to get some titties and we're going to make titties <laughs> come from the sky and just like <laughs> just derail <laughs> any sense It's finally that you know the this dungeon master's leaves just like continue
2: yourselves. Right. The players are going to do that enough on accident anyway, in a tabletop game, key in on the wrong thing and just totally let the dungeon master down without trying to.
1: To keep relevant. And today I have a question for you, because this week I do know that Death Stranding is coming out. Are you excited? Is this an RPG? Is it not an RPG? Is it a stealth-player game like what it like we know it's an open world game. It looks really weird and exciting.
3: How much experience do you guys have with the Metal Gear Solid series that Kojima?
2: Not at all. I have seen ads for this game during the World Series. That's all I know.
3: So people are trying to draw parallels because Kojima, you could say maybe he's the Tarantino of game developers, game designers. Maybe that's a apt comparison, I don't know. But whether or not it's an RPG remains to be seen. I think it probably is going to fit a lot of the characteristics. But Metal Gear Solid, for example, it's got a five game long mega story with propaganda, subterfuge, conspiracy, everything that you could think of goes into a great storytelling engagement. Going back, I think what also distinguishes RPGs from other genres is the breadth or scope of the narrative and the storytelling and all the elements that go into that. Because you can make a store like a Call of Duty, where it's just you puts you on rails, there's kind of a story there, you point and click, and you find your way at the end. But now developers are becoming very good at trying to make it seem like your choices matter. And I think the more that that takes place, I think that will maybe help narrow down the definition of an RPG. You play a role and you actually impact the world in real time. But it's a game, it has constraints. Like a DM is going to create constraints and the rules within which you have to abide. And otherwise it's not a game anymore and you break the social contract, as Brian said. So playing with those boundaries, I think, is the key.
1: This one's supposed to have like movie sequence cutscenes that last up to an hour or something. Woo!
3: When I saw the ad for
1: that,
2: I saw that we've kind of gone next level with making characters look like the voice actors or possibly fairly well-known actors, with Norman Reedus obviously being portrayed, Daryl from The Walking Dead. Which, I don't know, if I can't play a random muscular guy, I certainly can't play Norman Reedus, the greatest badass zombie killer of all time. So, man, talk about inadequate.
3: The notion of turning games into hybrid cinematic experience as well, it's becoming more possible to make those two things kind of clash. And that's why I love gaming and specifically RPG development so much. It's so fascinating because you really can bring in all the artistic elements. And then, of course, then you have the added interactivity of the player. So you're not just passively observing the movie, you're part of the movie. And again, you're playing that role, even if that role is putting you on rails and you're meant to end up at point Z. You still have to make the choices and do it effectively to get to point Z. You know, the music, the cinematography, the graphics, the narrative, the storytelling, all that goes into it.
1: Right. And we're seeing some changes happen with that. Like with Bandersnatch, it definitely had its limitations. But, you know, when Netflix put out Bandersnatch, that was an interesting way to show it more as a cinematic experience with choices. Now, we were really frustrated with that one because it seemed to be like certain choices that you made, they didn't allow you to go any further. You just had to go back and do it again. But we played a more successful one called Erica on PS4 a few weeks ago. And that one was pretty fun. I wouldn't say it was a fantastic game, but it, it definitely had similar elements to Bandersnatch. It was much better gaming choices. And at the end, it shows you like the four different things that you experienced from your gaming experience and how you could go back and like try to save other people or have a better ending or more of a conflict with certain characters based on your gameplay.
0: I think the only console game I've played since summer is this one called Sakura's Sacrifice that I just looked up. You know, what is cheap and very well rated and that is very linear and very well made, you know, a small development team. So they really couldn't make it a giant open world. It really is get to the end, but it's well directed and a good plot. And so I, you know, I appreciate the kind of thing that's basically a movie, you know, that you can make choices in and you obviously have to solve puzzles. You have to beat the win of the combats and there are different. Every time you die, your arm gets a little more diseased. And I guess if it gets all the way up to your brain, then the game is over. So things like that that make it, it's going to be different for different gameplays. I just think that's a fundamentally different thing than an RPG. Even if you're asked to be in this character's shoes and it's more interactive still, the game is doing... Seventy five percent of the work. And if you're saying that like this new one, Death Strand is gonna interrupt with an hour long (laughs) cutscene, that is no longer even interacting. That's a movie experience or a very long movie experience.
2: That's interesting that you mentioned dying in games, Mark, because that's another real big difference between Tabletop RPGs and I guess most video games. and maybe unless you're playing, well, I'm thinking of single player games, but if you're playing, unless you're in some sort of hardcore mode, typically you can make your mistakes and you die and then you're, you come back to some earlier save or maybe you lose a little bit of your stuff, but you keep on going. Tyler, maybe this is, I'm sure this is much more true in these multiplayer games where when you die, there are greater consequences, but I assume your character isn't lost forever. Is that, am I right on that front?
3: Yeah, you're right. The consequences can be pretty dire. Like you die, therefore, the whole raid comes to a collapse and everyone's wasted six hours of their time or whatever. So, but yeah. But there's
2: not the total party wipe that you get playing a tabletop game, right? Right. Where you've all died, no one has healing, and you're just done. There's no idea that, oh no, we're going to just roll back time six hours and you get to keep going. I mean, I have a friend who, he's kind of a joker and he kind of just blurts things out, not even thinking them. And I got to the point as a DM where I said, I'm going to flip a coin. And if it you know, if it comes up heads, you actually do that thing, whether you're joking or not. So when you see a little girl, I punch her in the face. All right, let's get up. Oh no, I don't, I don't. Well, we'll see if you do. And occasionally he does punch her in the face. I will save, impulse control. <laughs> that's, I guess that's what it is. That's exactly right.
3: That brings to mind the RNG elements of like a like a dice roll type tabletop game and the, the random number generator elements that create that chaos that can lead the story down many branching paths, like a skill roll or something, like if you have a thief and By and large, the thief should be pretty successful at picking pockets, but say the village is also getting raided at the same time, so the thief is then required to roll skill and then they fail at pickpocketing and they get caught and they get thrown in jail. That sort of thing is kind of hard to program unless the world is riddled with that RNG stuff, and in which case the linearity of the narrative takes a hit. So there's compromises that you have to make as a game developer to keep the narrative moving forward. Those constraints can make it difficult to make an RPG open-ended enough to seem like a tabletop game.
0: Do we have a a general sort of consensus that do you prefer, as far as RPGs go, a more linear to a sandbox, or as much of both as possible? or What makes it a, a better RPG experience?
1: I'd be interested to know individually, what that answer is, but also what tends to be the trend with reviews? Do they tend to like one versus the other?
2: I like the illusion of choice. Right? There are some games where there is no branching path at all, physically in the game.
3: Final Fantasy Thirteen is one that really kept the player on rails and kind of eliminated the open world elements. So that's one example. I think that's what it comes down to. You open the world up enough like The Witcher. I mean, the map is some outlandish size, and there are so many different side quests and things that you can do beyond the main story. I prefer sandbox and infinite replay value out of my video games, but that has become an easy way out for a lot of game developers. Just make the world open and fill it with a lot of filler, and you give the player 900 hours of gameplay, but it's repetitive tasks and stuff like that. Go get that thing.
2: Yeah, but I don't have 900 hours, is the thing.
3: Yeah, bring me 20 doodads and you get 300 gold and do that until the end of time. I mean, that's one way to do it, but players are definitely getting burnt out. That's why something like Death Stranding is going to be interesting because I'm sure there are going to be some elements like that, but then here's a half hour cutscene. Sit back and enjoy after you've done some task or whatever.
2: This idea that if I don't have that amount of time, I do want to get kind of pushed along in the right direction or at least not feel like I don't know what to do, right? If you're going to be open-ended, at least not be totally punishing about it, or I feel like, yeah, I'm just kind of in this room now for an hour and if I have to go online, I know I'm not going to enjoy it as much to get clues. I feel like that has became very clear to me as the internet sort of being a thing where you could go to get guidance is always made it less rewarding. If I had to go find a solution somewhere, I would just much rather stumble around and get it on my own or just say to hell with it.
1: In comparing this to television, you have some shows that have a story arc that is just one episode. You have your episodic stuff. And then you have some that has just a long, long story arc. And then you have some that are somewhere in between. For video games, the ones that like push you along, it feels more like you have a long story arc. It's like those TV shows. But then you have the ones, like you say, that are more sandbox, open world, you can play it for years. That's like the opposite of an episodic. It's on a completely other field. It's like, I'm going to create my own world. I want to be super interactive. It's not something I'm just doing passively. I'm invested in this world. That's interesting, and it's something I don't really find in television and film. Maybe in a way you could say you do with big genres like Star Wars and Star Trek, and people have found ways to create fan fiction and and dedicate their lives to that type of thing. But in general, it's very different from television. And I think that's partially why I've not gotten into gaming like some people do, because I don't also, like Brian, I don't want that full-on commitment. And if I'm gonna do a game, I want it to be more like a movie.
0: So you'd rather just get through it, whereas I like even reading a choose your own adventure, I would (laughs) fold down the pages or keep my fingers in the pages to like try to read all the endings. I just wanna get the result, the creative result of what the programmers put in there. So I don't want there to be fundamentally different things, whole big chunks of the game that I didn't get to experience. I want to just, it would be nice to just play through it and kind of get most of what was on offer.
3: A good example of having kind of both of those kind of dynamics in a single game, like in an MMO, you're required to create a relatively cohesive social group, and you can even gamify that, where, like, my friend has a guild in Final Fantasy XIV, which is an MMO in that series. He's the lieutenant, and you have a king, and you have a court, and you have a board of directors, and there's a game within a game there where you're managing personnel, and you're setting up the characters' estates, and you're doing all that stuff. Within that realm, you could have really, like, going back to what Erica said, TV shows that might be episodic, they're driven from the top down, whereas RPGs and open world games, the episodes are player-generated. Episodic in that nature, like, today I'm going to play for an hour and achieve this task, and then tomorrow I'm going to play for an hour and achieve that task. If the game's open-ended enough, that can be pretty fun. And Erica, I feel like
2: single-player games can be episodic as well. If you sit down to say, well, today I'm going to advance the quest, or today I'm going to really mine and craft and get the stuff done that I need to get done. And yeah, it's not HBO or anything, but in your mind, because it's participatory, it rewards your brain in its own ways, even though not as a viewer. Anyone watching it would be like, what are you doing, man? What are you doing with your time?
1: I see the appeal of it. It's not as appealing for me, but I see the appeal of wanting to craft something and have something that's your own. And we don't build things in life as much as we used to. And it's a way of creating something. Maybe that's the reason why it's generally, you know, now definitely a lot more women, but it's been such a largely male dominated field for so long. Maybe it goes back to something of the idea of creating something. And, you know, women generally can have children and men can't. So they, you know, they tend to build and create things. Maybe women are more into it now because they're not having as many babies too. And they want to create things that are not babies. I don't know.
2: (laughs) That's awesome.
0: Is there going to be a a baby-building RPG game that exists?
1: The Sims? Yeah, (laughs) I was going to say, is The Sims actually that?
0: (laughs) Raise your baby to be an assassin, or... (laughs) Have all these options. You can can inject uh, super DNA into your baby and make it a mutant. Things could go wrong, but they might be okay.
3: Some of my favorite classic RPGs, though, are, are more like interactive books. And like I've introduced my son to a lot of these games because he does like to read. We'll just sit back, he'll read all the dialogue, and I'll navigate through. And at that point, it is like reading a video book.
1: You're right. And it also teaches a lot of problem-solving skills and how to allocate your funds or your energy or whatever it is that you are using to purchase or upgrade your systems.
0: If only there were enough complexity in most of these games to warrant these sort of educational accolades. No, it's just, how many people's armor can I carry before it gets too heavy? (laughs) Maybe I'll just carry, depending on the mechanic of the game, I'll just really load myself up and walk really slow back (laughs) home. (laughs) But then I'll get so much money by selling this all.
3: The worst game design mechanic ever, Encumbrance. (laughs) You're now going to walk at 12% speed and sorry you can't fast travel so you want to keep this uh heavy ass armor you're going to have to work for it that's role playing uh, the, the problem is
2: that it's already ridiculous because as soon as you're carrying a second set of armor you're, <laughs> you're encumbered. encumbered. no no 6 is okay but 7 is too many right it's the threshold they set it at that's utter nonsense well the more
0: realistic they make it the less fun it probably get, so I just started playing this one I just bought called Outward, I just read a, you know what are good RPGs that have come out I've since actually read some terrible reviews of it, it has a very kind of brutal, when you die it's pretty bad, and you can't go back to a saved position ever, and they require, there's no, this is not just the ultimate mode, this is the regular mode, that you eat, sleep, and drink regularly and clean your meat, and so that you don't get diseases, like are they really trying to make it realistic, but it sounds like it might turn out to be a super grind because you're just always like, where's more water? Where's, like, in between the actual fun stuff.
3: There are so many examples of games like that now, like Daisy and Rust, where it is permadeath and you have survival elements and looting and crafting and building. Yeah, I mean, the possibilities are now, especially with server-based play, and you can get a 1,000 people on one server and have the interactivity there. So many awesome games out there, and not enough time to play them. It's terrible. It's a terrible tragedy.
0: <laughs> Any special anecdotes of a particular role-playing experience
2: that was, this is what this kind of game is for? Any highlights or favorites that we want to hit before we get out of here? Yeah, I have one. This is actually Fallout 4 that came to mind for that question mark. And it involved uh, a side quest where there are various factions that you meet up with and you have to either befriend them or fight them or whatever. And I came across one of the factions pretty late in the game. They were the cons. and they were kind of patterned themselves after Genghis Khan, but it's set out in Nevada somewhere. And I was really already kind of overpowered at that point, And I had some like specialty drugs and some specialty weapons. And so at the very first moment I was introduced to their leader, I like took my Seiko and my buff out and got out my best weapon and I just killed their leader and I immediately failed twenty quests and it was just awesome. Like the computer just kept telling me, "You failed this quest. You failed this quest. You failed this quest." <laughs> and it was so memorable and probably lost some game time I could have enjoyed. But you know, I kept. It was really I lost a bunch of side quests and I get to keep going. But I really feel like I beat that game in a certain way that I wouldn't have beaten it if I had to go do all of these things. And then I just kept coming across. These cons later on that were just wandering around aimlessly. (laughs) Like, it was really excellent. I still think of that moment fondly. I think that's in Fallout New Vegas. Yeah.
1: I like to think of you just like running into these cons, as in like Wrath of Khan, (laughs) just like beautiful chests
0: and yelling, and open shirts,
1: and shaking fists.
0: (laughs) Tyler, you have the greatest store of, of experience here anything come to mind
3: The most I'll say memorable experience for me was when I was really playing Wow World of Warcraft. I mentioned it was a full-time job at one point. I was the main tank and the tank leader. So both in and out of the game I was coordinating the efforts of all the tanks, helping them gather their gear and then leading the charge into battle at the same time so the responsibility to keep the group successful. So far, nothing in gaming has been able to duplicate that experience. Um, I'm waiting for it. I mean, there are a lot of really great games that I've played, Final Fantasy Tactics and some other games that I would consider, Final Fantasy VI, some of the greater games that I've ever played, but nothing has been able to really replicate that experience of having playing such an integral role for other people's success.
2: Now, when you called it a job... (laughs) Was it a paying job, or was this just a
3: full-time enterprise? <laughs> no, no, I paid for. Okay. I paid to have that job. <laughs> <So> Very good. <laughs> it was uh, yeah, a negative feedback loop in, in some sense.
0: <laughs> I think my best RPG experiences, and we haven't really talked about this era yet, are the older ones. And, of course, back to playing Ultima 4 with friends as a kid, but just as an adult, the original Fallout and Fallout 2, which really look nothing like Fallout 3 and 4, which are these immersive 3D things, these were top-down RPGs where your character walks up to a door, the door is just a thing on the screen next to it, and it's just, I don't know, I have a special love for the old kind of RPG of walking around and getting involved in these Maybe during the dialogue, like somebody's face would appear on the screen, you'd actually be looking at something, but otherwise, it's just little guys in the screen it's it's not about realism. it's not about identifying with the character. It's something else. It's nice game design and you know a good sense of humor.
3: Do you play the Baldur's Gate games? and I
0: had Baldur's Gate. I actually didn't do much of that at all i there was something about you know, I don't know if it was just the moment that I was playing it that I was doing other things or not that into video games or whatever. But uh yeah, that one and like Never Winter Nights, you know, I own them and I played them a little, but like never made the deep dive into them that I did with, say, Diablo or uh the Dark Souls stuff more recently or things like that.
3: Oh, we didn't even touch on Dark Souls. That's the podcast in and of itself right there.
0: Action games, yes. I sent Brian
2: Dark Souls too, I just to torture him at some point. If you're a spaz <laughs> Man, I was so <laughs> mad at you for that. <laughs> Tricked me into playing that game. What about you, Erica?
1: Every game needs to end with a good ending credit song. So I'm going to leave you with one of my best RPG experiences, but just through its theme song. My last night here for you. Same old songs, just once more. Do you remember this? My last night here with you. Maybe yes, maybe no. I kind of liked it your way, how you silently placed your eyes on me. But did you ever know that I had mine on you?
2: Wow, that was awesome, Erica.
1: <laughs> Thanks, guys.
3: <laughs> that certainly made me cry when I came across that initially. I cried for sure.
1: Oh, me too. I totally cried during that. And that was one of the only things that was, I guess, Last of Us. I have a t shirt from that. But Final Fantasy VIII, I had some jewelry from. Yeah.
2: Those portal games, we wouldn't call those RPGs, right? Because that ending song, (laughs) I would love to hear.
1: That's just a puzzle gamer, right? I don't know if you'd be.
2: I just wanted you to sing the Aperture Science song.
1: I'll have to learn it.
2: We have footage of my son singing
0: that at, you know, age 12 or whatever.
2: (laughs) It's Ah.
0: awesome. The whole whole song.
2: (laughs) So long, everybody. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Tyler.
1: Thanks, Tyler.
3: You're welcome. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to getting on the boards and editing this and getting it
1: done. Yeah, yeah. Until next time.
3: Yes, indeed.
2: All right. Bye.
0: Get more Pretty Much Pop at prettymuchpop.com. Get bonus content for every episode, and you get to hear the episodes in advance of everyone else at patreon.com slash prettymuchpop. Pretty Much Pop is part of the Partially Examined Life podcast network, and it's also presented by OpenCulture.com.